and either welcome or welcome back to At Least There's a Dog, a Star Trek Enterprise review podcast in which we will boldly go episode by episode through the Star Trek series that, whatever its flaws, undeniably has the most dog. We are your hosts, Mandy, Josh, and also our snoring background dog. And on tonight's show, we will be discussing season two, episode 22, Regeneration. Yep. So we are. So yes, again, snoring background dog tonight. Our She's dog is us. is busy regenerating. Yep. Um, by snoring and sleeping. Mm-hmm. And um, no, one well, of the consequences of getting a nice microphone for these sorts of things is it picks up everything. Yep. So you're gonna hear some quiet dog regeneration in the background until she wakes up, mm-hmm. if she wakes up. So how about the TV show regeneration? Oh boy. Uh, like. It wasn't bad. So... Like, honestly, just as in, like, taking it on its own merits as, like, an action suspense episode, it was pretty good. That's the thing. Like, I would say that... But do you hear how unenthusiastic I sound about the fact that it was pretty good? Uh-huh. I do. Yeah. Um, it's a Borg episode. It, and... Mm. And on the plus side, the Borg were dangerous. It's true. On... The minus side... You're already into pluses and minuses. Not really. Yeah, I know. I'm just Um, dragging on you. It's nothing we haven't done before. Yeah, that's the thing, is like... I feel like they did this episode because they got a lot of notes from the producers. Like, our ratings are down, y'all need to figure out a way to spice this up, let's bring back the Borg, everybody loves the Borg. That's like the conversation that I feel like Mm -hmm. took place somewhere prior to this episode. And the problem that they're running into, well, they're running into a lot of problems, but one of the problems that they're running into is that Enterprise, the show, happened post-Star Trek Voyager, which went out of its way to defang the Borg in every possible way, with the result that the Borg aren't scary anymore. Mm -hmm. Like, it speaks to this episode's credit, as you said, that they actually managed to make the Borg kind of scary again, Pretty much by blatantly ripping off First Contact. But if Mm -hmm. you're gonna blatantly rip off something, especially if it's a Borg story, First Contact is about the best you could do. Yeah. And they not only ripped it off, but they referenced it heavily. They did. Like, First Contact is why this episode was possible. Like, this was First Contact, the sequel. Kind of, yeah. Not as good as the original, but... No, but First Contact is the only good TNG movie, so... (sighs) You are correct. <laughs> I was going to say the best TNG movie, and then I realized that that was a very potentially I mean, backhanded compliment. Generations has its moments. Yeah, but it's not good. Mm-hmm. Anyway, this is not a uh, Star Trek movie podcast. It is not. Maybe someday. Maybe someday. But yeah, all in all, like it, it as an action suspense episode, it it had some pretty good parts. It also had some not-so-good parts, mainly owing to we've been here before. We don't need to rehash the, um, you know, oh, our phasers. We need to modify our phasers so we can shoot them again and then have them, you know, work exactly the correct number of times. Yeah. Like, yeah, we've done that so many times. We don't need to once again figure out the but how do they borg questions yeah we've been through this multiple times you'll note that they never called them the borg 
because they were bending over backwards to maintain continuity, sort of. It's kind of like that time that they ran into the Romulans and bent over backward to not call them the Romulans. Or when they ran into the Ferengi and bent over backwards not to ever call them the Ferengi. Seems like they get notes about this at least one and a half times per season. What Star Trek species are left that they cannot come into... Oh, we, we could have them come into contact with the shapeshifters. We the could. The Gamma Quadrant. Yeah. Or uh, Species 8472. That would be completely nonsensical. It I bet would. That, that sounds very much like what they would want to do then. Yeah. Um, Let's see. Anybody else? Anybody else fun? <laughs> I don't know. There are a whole bunch of like one-off Hat Planet original series species that they could just run into for no good reason. But Ooh, yeah. Go into like the, but, uh, like, those aren't the gangster I- planet. But, like, those aren't iconic as aliens, so they're not going to run into them in an effort to increase their viewership. Mm -hmm. But, yeah, this this episode was very much hampered by the problems with prequels. Yeah. Which, uh, yeah, I'll save my rant on that for later. You want me to do the summary? Go for it. All right, so this was Regeneration, which uh, shares some syllables with Cogenitor, but was not as good as Cogenitor. It did have a top act to follow. Oh, yes. Um, yes. Anyway, looks like we are spending a little time off the NX-01. We arrive in the cold open at a low-budget recreation of the set of John Carpenter's The Thing, where a team of generic researchers have discovered those escaped Borg from first contact buried under the styrofoam flakes. We know instantly... Those, by the way, by the way, those are the same styrofoam flakes that, that they... That they ha- made Rero out of? Yes. <laughs> Yeah, they, they, they just shipped over the same box of styrofoam flakes. Mm-hmm. Anyway, uh, I can't read my own handwriting. My hand was under a dog. We know instantly <laughs> that they are screwed because they start merrily trying to resuscitate said Borg instead of running screaming in the other direction like a normal person would do when encountering even something that looks like a Borg. Mm-hmm. Not hostile, my butt. Anyway, the inevitable happens, and the newest members of the Borg fraternity steal and modify a transport to start wrecking havoc on space. And the NX-01 is sent to go put a stop to it. What follows is a series of events that would have been really scary if we hadn't already seen First Contact and also Voyager, and impressively managed to be kind of scary and suspenseful anyway. The scariest thing that happens is an attempt by the Borg to assimilate flocks, who uses the opportunity to find a cure for nanoprobes, which means that we never have to worry about the Borg ever again, right? Don't, don't, <laughs> don't even try. Yeah. Will the NX-01 crew save the researchers? Will they prevent their own ship's assimilation? Do none of these jerk faces from the past ever make reports about the alien species they run into so that people in the future know what they're up against? The star of the show, Porthos, is alas not a corgi. Because if he were, I could make so many Borgie jokes right about now. <laughs> wow. I like it. He wasn't even in this episode, but even if That's that... the best. If he were a Corgi, I would have made so many Borgie jokes. Oh, he's so cute, though! The cutest Borg. The Borgie. Isn't that like a beagle and a Corgi? It's a Border Collie and a Corgi. My brother's got one. Okay, okay. Though you could probably also call it a... Call a beagle and a corgi a borgi. Yeah. Like, uh, I mean, portmanteaus are, are unlimited or something. It's true. I don't know. Anyway, cutest Borg ever would not have done any more to make the Borg less scary than Voyager already did. <laughs> Fair enough. 
All right. Well, I've got some trivia for you. Ooh, tell me about it. So, one of the uh, the guest stars on this episode, uh-huh. um, you saw there were a few researchers up at the Arctic Circle. Uh-huh. One of them was female. Yes. I believe her name was Rooney. Um, she had a name? I guess. I don't remember any of their she, names. There I remember some, looking so, at the men and going, this is some acting that happened, but I don't think she offended me as much as they did. Yeah. So she was played by an actress named Bonita Friederici. I might be pronouncing that wrong, oh. but I'm not positive. Oh, does that ring a bell I to you? I know what you're about to tell me. And the only reason I know what you're about to tell me is because during this episode, I looked at John Billingsley's Wikipedia page to see if I could tell from his Wikipedia picture whether he wears colored contacts in Enterprise. <laughs> and on that, like underneath where they have all the little bio details, I noticed that he had a very distinctively named spouse. Yes. And what was that spouse's name? Bonita for the... For the uh, uh, Friteracy. Yes. Yes. So that was John Billingsley's wife. Uh, ah, cool. They had no there. scenes together. Yes, that is correct. Um... It's funny, they, they joked after, uh, or during the production or something like that with a reporter, um, that she just got the sh- the part by uh, sleeping with Connor Trenier. <laughs> <laughs> I like it. Yeah. At least one of his wives managed. <laughs> yeah, I think the, they did something similar with uh, Armin Shimmerman's wife on DS9, where she's a guest star in a couple of that episodes. Yeah. Hmm, Okay. Her name is Kitty something, and if I try to remember what her last name is, I'm going to get it wrong. But oh. yeah, same deal. But yeah, so uh, there's a little relationship thing there. Um, one other minor bit. Mm-hmm. So these, uh, these, uh, this freighter that got assimilated on the way mm-hmm. um, was a Tarkalian freighter. Mm-hmm. Now, have you heard of the Tarkalians before? Uh, they aren't ringing a bell. Okay. So Tarkalians, this is actually the only episode that they appear on screen in. They in look basically Trek. like Denobulans. Yeah, they're, my... they're a pretty generic alien species. Yep. But uh, Tarkalians have been mentioned over and over and over on Star Trek. I, I feel like I am missing some famous reference that well, has something to do with them. They they're, seem to be both, most well-known for their tea. Tarkalian tea is is a favorite of uh, some people. Okay. Um, but yeah, they 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 and their various products are mentioned in a number okay. of, of episodes. But this is the only one where we actually see them. Are we ever gonna find out why Denobulans just aren't a thing in all the rest of Star Trek? I don't know, and I uh, yeah, I don't know. I'm a little worried about it. Me too. We don't need to speculate on that yet. No, no, let's not. Let's not. Anyway, thought you'd like to know that. I sure did. That was cool. Mm-hmm. But yeah, all in all, this was... I, I have very conflicted feelings about this episode. There were some really good parts, and then there were some... Why are we doing these parts? That's the thing. Like, I feel like, objectively, this was a good episode. Like, in terms of its production, probably one of the better episodes of the season. But I don't need another Borg episode. Mm-hmm. Like, I just don't. Mm-hmm. Like, I think we've discussed before, probably not on this podcast, um, that what happened to the Borg over the course of Voyager was much like what happened to the Daleks over 
like the first two and a half seasons of the uh, Doctor Who revival Seriously. of the 2000s. Like, I know this is a conversation that we've had off the podcast, but for the benefits of our listeners who do not have spy cameras in our house, you remember that first episode? Which is, I they... think four of our listeners do not have spy cameras in our house. The Good. rest of them do. Cool. It's creepy. Hi, listeners, on all your hidden cameras. But anyway, remember that first episode that I think was just called Dalek, where they found the one Dalek? Oh, yeah. And how, like, pants-crappingly terrifying that was? Mm-hmm. And then remember how they spent the whole rest of the series screwing that up? Yeah. One Dalek is scary, so let's make a bunch of Daleks. Let's make, a, like, a unlimited number of CG Daleks. Let's make Daleks in every color of the rainbow. Like, they... No! And it turns out that uh, one Dalek feels like a threat, among other things, because it's treated as a threat. But when our heroes can face hundreds of Daleks week after week and nothing bad ever happens to them, they stop being a threat. And a very similar thing happened to the Borg in Star Trek Voyager. Yep. So this was kind of... Especially when they were like, you know what's going to be great? Let's make the hot Borg. Jerry Ryan was a very good actor. Jerry Ryan is a very good actress. Seven of Nine was a good character. The decision to make the hot Borg still ruined the Borg forever. Mm-hmm. Yes. No, you're, you're completely right. Trudy agrees, too. You can tell from the volume increase of the snores. Oh, this will be fun to see how much snoring shows up on the, uh, on the mic. Yep. <laughs> sure will. So do we, do we just go and do the pluses and minuses? Yeah, I think we do. Or do, or do we... Okay, there's one there's one other issue. I, I couldn't decide whether this is a plus or a minus. I've just put it as a question mark. Is it the balls? Yes. <laughs> I have that in my pluses column. Okay, then we'll, we'll, we'll get to it then. <laughs> okay. In fact, go ahead. Start with this. Start us off. <laughs> okay. So that wasn't actually my first plus, but I guess it is now. It's the, the most important one. The, the balls. <laughs> the insignia with the balls. So the Tarkalian, the Tarkalians have a insignia on their uniforms. Um, yeah, it is definitely a pair of testicles. It does appear that it might be. I'm not sure. Three-dimensional testicles. I'm not really sure what they were thinking of. They call a great deal of attention to themselves. Yeah. What? <laughs> Who thought that was a good idea? Oh Costume designers need to change out whatever's in your bongs. Yeah. But that made me laugh really hard, so it went in the pluses column. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. I guess I should uh, start off with a really minor, minor plus. Um, I thought it was cute that Flox uh, has experience with the binars. And mentioned them as being a uh, cybernetically enhanced uh, species. Have we run into them before? I don't remember them. They were on T- um, one episode of TNG. Uh-huh. They were trying to, in a very early season TNG style plot, um, steal the Enterprise computer to save their themselves. That sounds right. I still don't remember them, but that sounds like a TNG episode that would have happened in the first couple they, seasons. They were a species that communicated like computers because they have like computers in their brains i don't know if i saw this episode hmm i may have to fix that okay like is it good i think it was pretty cool okay 
Cool. Yeah, anyway. That was a reference I appreciated. All right, good. Um, I'm going to do a real plus now, which is that uh, I think we've kind of mentioned the atmosphere in this was really strong. Like, they did a great job of ramping up the tension where they could. One of the ways that they did this was that the camera work was really nice. Mm-hmm. Um, I am critical of flashy camera work on Star Trek shows. I don't think it works all that often, but this wasn't flashy. It was just really cool. The scene that stood out to me was the scene where the the uh, um, the chase in... Is that a Jeffrey's tube that they were in? The chase through the tubes with Reed I, and his guys and then the Borg who were I don't think those were ship. tubes. I think those were just narrow hallways. Narrow, really short hallways? Something like that. Okay. The chase through the narrow, really short hallways. It was cooler when I was calling them Jeffrey's tubes, but whatever. Yeah. Um, where like they were kind of being shot from below um, mm-hmm. with a very fast-moving camera. Which made the space look even more cramped than it already was, and also made it look like the Borg were moving faster than they actually were. Okay. And I just made a note of, like, I, I see what you are doing, but nice nice use of that camera work. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was, again, very impressive that they managed to sustain the atmosphere as well as they did, given how many times we have seen this. Yep. Um, I think that, you know, early on in the episode, I was very much like, are there are no there are going to be no stakes here because we know that the Borg are going to be going away because we've seen most of the rest of Star Trek, um, but then they actually throw in some some stakes there. Is what's going on with Flux? Yeah, and, and like we know he's not going to be assimilated because he's not. Yeah, but like getting these nano machines out is not going to be easy. Are yeah, there going no. to be serious side effects? Is he, he going to die? He said there were going to be serious side effects, but the serious side effects appeared to be a costume change at the end of the episode. Yeah, they did. It's true. Um, and also the question of what are you going to do when you find the uh, find the Borgified freighter? And, you know, the answer, yeah. we, we kind of knew it was going to be to destroy it, but... Uh, but we had to watch Archer feel guilty about it for a little and while. And he did a good job about it. Like, he did. I think that he actually did a very good job dealing with you know, even just ejecting those two out out the airlock, um, you know, you had no choice. Mm-hmm. Like, because he was clearly struggling with it. It's another one of those conflicts that really works. Kind of like we talked about the entire episode with Cogenitor last week, where, like, there's a clear right answer. And it's especially clear to us because we know what the Borg are. But it doesn't feel good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. And, uh... You know, Bacula was pretty good this episode. Yeah, he was. Like, this was not an acting-focused episode, but Bacula had to do a lot of the, like, action hero work, and I thought he did it pretty darn well. Mm-hmm. Um, I was pleased to see that uh, it continues to be the case that no matter how hard you shoot the Borg, they're going to come back and learn to deal with it, but punching them always works. It's a thing. Yep. Just punch them really hard, rip out some of their wires, and you're going to win every time. <laughs> Fortunately, Archer and Reed both like to punch things, so they were well-equipped for this job. Mm-hmm. So there was a cute line in there, which I noticed, and I don't think you did. Um, Reed said something after the Borg were uh, blocking all their shots. said, may as well have been firing holographic bullets. Yeah, and you giggled at that, and I didn't understand why. Because in First Contact, after the Borg have adapted to phasers, Picard takes them into the holodeck 
Yeah, in one of his gangster oh yeah simulations, okay. I don't and, that and mows him down with holographic bullets of the safety. All right, off. okay, okay, yes, very cute. There's a wink to the people who saw the other Star Trek stuff. Yep. I don't know. I liked it. Who saw it and remembered it better than I did? Yep. I do remember First Contact, but I mostly remember it as being like the good Star Trek horror movie. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, let's see. We've already covered a lot of mine. My last real one is just, like, good use of just a few Borg instead of taking the Voyager more is more approach. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, I and We've think, already talked about that. I think at the beginning, they... In the first act, they actually did a pretty decent job, I think, through a lot of it, of building up tension by not having the Borg sit up and attack. Mm-hmm. Um, there were many moments where I thought, oh, now is when he's going to get assimilated. Oh, no. Okay. He was just, uh, heard a sound and it's okay. He, he spilled his coffee, but didn't get assimilated. Cool. No, that's true. That setup was actually a very, like, it's, it's a well-worn, but very effective horror movie setup where the viewer knows it's based on dramatic irony. The viewer knows exactly what is going to happen, but doesn't know when or how it's going to happen. And the idiot on screen doesn't know what but is going they, to happen. But they let it not happen a few times. I mean, that's how you make it effective. You have to draw it out a little bit. Mm-hmm. You have to keep you have to keep everybody on the edge of their seat, making them think that it's going to happen, so that when it does finally happen, even though you know it's coming, it still feels like a big surprise. Mm-hmm. So yep. yeah, that was a that was a really good setup. And um, lastly, I really like the third act. Just the last third, and I know I don't know if you consider it an act or not, but like the last third of the episode yeah. or so was nonstop action and was good. Yeah, well it was done. paced very well. Yeah. All right. Are uh, we yeah, I'm done with my pluses, minuses. Fake ass snow <laughs> again. The snow was not very convincing. The fakest of fake snow. It was very styrofoam. Yep. They were very on a soundstage, covered in styrofoam flakes. I could see the actors sweating. Like, can, can, I don't know. I don't know what time of year they filmed this, but like, can you go somewhere that's cold at least? They don't do very much location shooting. They don't. And it sucks, because sometimes they could really benefit from it. Mm-hmm. If you gotta have the fake snow, don't do close-ups on the fake snow. <laughs> that was the thing when I could see John Billingsley's wife very clearly brushing styrofoam away from the Borg face kind of takes you out of the moment a little bit yeah yeah um, anyway that's all mm-hmm. uh, I actually thought that the music was a bit too much really the music uh, especially in like the first third of the episode you know and also into the middle Section like in the in the final act, yeah, it fit. The music was very intense, and the action was very intense. It works. Um, the The music was definitely like dark and powerful. A lot of like uh, repeating chord progressions, and it felt like the scenes. Like yes, we should be nervous about the Borg, but the crew of the NXO one don't really know what's going on. And it just felt felt too much to me. It felt like this is music for, like, you are fighting for your lives. This is the scariest thing ever. And if, you know, if this is TNG and a Borg cube was heading towards Earth, sure. But it's not. They're 
they're just chasing after an unknown species. Yeah, I guess I can see that. Like, I didn't pay a whole lot of attention to the music. I remember thinking that some of it was kind of neat and then sort of checking out from it. Mm -hmm. I have, I don't even know if I've told you this. I have a recurring Star Trek complaint, which is that I don't think any Star Trek material has ever learned to make effective use of silence. Hmm. I think that in general, in Star Trek, and this is a sin that every single series commits, there's too much non-diegetic noise. Are you sure? Yes. I mean... I think you definitely need some non-diegetic noise when you you're fighting the Gorn. Oh, you yeah. need ba 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 da, No, da, I'm not. No, 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 no. I'm, I'm not saying they should not have music. I'm saying that every so often they should learn to embrace quiet. Okay. Hmm. I hadn't thought about that. Interesting. Just, like, think through it sometimes. How many truly quiet moments there are that you remember There was one moment in, in this Trek. episode that, that, that did not have any uh, music going on. What are you I don't about? remember. I don't remember exactly when it was, but there was one moment where I was, like, noticing it. And mm-hmm. like, huh. There's also, like, it's not even always non-diegetic noise. There's also, like, always, and I get this in part because they're on a starship and starships make noise. There's always, like, whirring and buzzing and clanking and stuff mm-hmm. moving around, even when, like, nothing's going on. And sometimes it's, uh, sometimes it's a little much. It's how you know you're on a spaceship. But we know we're on a spaceship. They don't need to remind us all the time. It's a thing. <laughs> I mean, when have you been on a vessel that's totally quiet while moving at faster than the speed of light? That's a trick question. I guess it is. Anyway. Um, I don't even remember which one of us we're on. I can go. Go ahead. Um, the, this, you know, oh, well, we've only postponed the invasion to the 24th century. <laughs> that was cheesy. <laughs> that was very cheesy. I didn't need that. And I figured you were going to bring it up, so I didn't even put it on my list. <laughs> Fair enough. That's all. Uh, yeah, so the problem with prequels. The problem shared by all the prequels uh-huh. is that they always want to make nods to how, hey, remember this thing that you liked? We're going to do it too. And then they end up screwing around with it in, oh, she's dreaming. <laughs> Sorry, got distracted by the dog. Um, Our podcast is becoming, oh, wow. Shall we continue with the episode? Sure. <laughs> um... Yes, problem so for, with prequels. Problem with prequels. So, for example, Phlox cured Borgness in this episode. Mm-hmm. Um, well, I mean... You... Like, it sounds like the treatment is unpleasant. The treatment and... is unpleasant, and one might believe it only works because he hadn't been completely transformed yet. That may be the case. Maybe you have to get it like really, really early in order for it to be effective. Maybe it only works on denobulans. Like there are certainly ways that they could come up with to fix why Phlox did not just cure Borg, but they didn't come up with any of this. So as far as we know, Phlox just found the cure for Borg mm-hmm. and apparently didn't even have the decency to write it down so that other people might know about it and use it in the future. And speaking of not having the decency to write things down, Archer, why don't you ever, like, make a report of it when you run into these things? 
So that, you know, when TNG, when their crew encounters the Borg in, what was it, Q-Who? Yeah. And are like, what are these? We've never heard of these before. We cannot conceive them. Maybe things like that won't happen? So, so I want to be indignant here. But for some reason, I feel like defending the show. And I don't know if that's a good idea. That makes one of us. Well, I remember when, you know... Q showed the the Borg to the Enterprise to scare humanity away from, uh, you know, traveling out there. Q just wanted to scare Captain Picard. And so he knocked the Enterprise out to see the Borg. Um, I, it's been a while since I saw that episode. He might have said, you know, something about this being a species that you humans have never encountered before or something. And he's omnipotent, so he would know. But, on the other hand, there's this whole, like, predestination paradox that might be going on, where the Borg didn't send their sphere back in time until something like 15 years after the episode Q-Who. So, then, did that signal from the Borg in this episode reach them and cause things? Because if so, it only happened because the Borg had come towards Earth. So either there was a starting point or or it's just a, a closed loop. And it gets weird and time-confusing. And I'm kind of glad they didn't spend a while trying to talk about it. Y'all cannot see my, yeah, no, this is just clumsy as hell face, but I'm making it right now. Yeah, you are. That yeah. was an admirable attempt to defend them. I'm done. Okay, uh, is, it, is it me? Is it you? I mean, I guess the other thing that was sort of, I don't know, the, the beginning of the episode before the uh, Enterprise showed up, it was kind of, I don't know, disconnected it felt. Like, it, it ended up tying in, but I don't know. It was I didn't weird. mind that so okay. much because I figured they'd tie it in somehow, but you're right that it did not feel like an Enterprise episode at the start. Yeah. It was just like... They tried something new and... Yeah. So at least they tried one thing that was new in this episode. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I get that. Um, guys, the first rule of horror movies is that you don't split the party. Stop leaving each other alone in places. That applies to you on the ship and also you back in the Arctic Circle. Oh, yeah. They kept, like, assuming that a guard would help. Yeah, I also have written down here, a guard. <laughs> we'll post a guard. <laughs> a. It never helps. No. Get some genre savvy, people. <laughs> Seriously. <laughs> it's like y'all didn't even see First Contact. Well, Don't they have that in the Enterprise movie database? Uh, we saw what was in the Enterprise movie database. <laughs> Fair. Point, point taken. Uh, um, yeah. It's also like you haven't seen John Carpenter's The Thing, which you should have in the Enterprise movie database. Do you want to talk about Princeton? Do I? Like, I don't know. They kind of actually explained that. They did kind of explain it. Yeah. That is a very weird thing to bring up in the Princeton commencement address. Yeah, it's like... You know, I'm looking out at you. Congratulations, the, the, the graduates. Future of, you guys are like the future of 
of humanity now that you've gotten your degrees. Speaking of the future of humanity, I once had some people from the future visit me and <laughs> they were fighting some cybernetic beings and... They're out there. They're going to the get you. The point is, um, don't become cybernetic beings and go go tigers or something. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, so if you didn't watch the episode, what we're talking about is that Archer was doing some research, trying to figure out what he was up against, and like started reading through the Zephram Cochran archives and found a possible reference to the First Contact Borg in a commencement speech that Cochran had given at Princeton. It is really a weird thing to bring up during your commencement address. That is a very weird thing to bring up during a commencement address. Yeah. Like, they probably remembered it, at least, which is more than I can say for my college commencement address, but... Yeah. <laughs> Who knows? <laughs> That's fair. Your college commencement address was not very memorable. It was not. It's fine. I don't think most of them are. Man, if Fareed Zakaria just brought up um, cybernetic beings from the future... I know, right? Like, like the, the commencement address would have been way more interesting. Say, I take it all back. That's a really good idea yeah, for commencement no. addresses. I'll say one thing for Fareed Zakaria. He kept it short. <laughs> Fair. Um, I have one more, which is that uh, Hoshi is now just a waitress. <sighs> You're correct. Mayweather is a prop and Hoshi is a waitress. Oh, that's disappointing. Yep. So that seems like a good transition. Speaking of Mayweather. All right. So I did something a little different this time, which is that I didn't just count Mayweather's lines. I also wrote them all down. Oh, good. <laughs> Let me read to you all nine of Travis Mayweather's lines in oh, order. All right. I, sir, about an hour. They're going to warp. I, sir. They're accelerating. 4.8, 4.9. Sir, our warp field's destabilizing. We're closing. They're dropping to impulse. Whole platings at 23%. It's not the most exciting dialogue. It's really not. Like, I think Hoshi had fewer lines and also Hoshi's a waitress, but Hoshi at least got to have, like, a sort of meaningful exchange with another cast member. Mm -hmm. Travis gets to sit there and basically do the equivalent of hailing frequencies open, Captain, over and over again. Yeah. Wasn't... Wasn't great. It's like he had a lot of lines, but uh, I mean, not really a lot. He had nine, but it does. They were interesting even, ones. Hardly but, even feels like they count. But we aren't forecasting for quality. We are forecasting for quantity, and, and I based win again. on that, you win. Yep, very good. Uh, next week is apparently uh, Archer tells to Paul a bedtime story about uh, some dumb rivalry he had. So I'm gonna say zero for that one. I'm going to say one, just so that it's different from you. Okay. I'm going to go back to my pen. I got it. Okay, cool. Glad you do. Yep. And then I believe we just have a Kirk Award to give out. Yeah, it's got to be Archer. Can I do my preamble first? Oh. Every show, we bestow (laughs) the James Tiberius Kirk Award on the character who spends the episode keeping the Star Trek legacy alive by doing the best William Shatner impersonation. Yes, you are correct. It's Archer. (laughs) Sorry. Archer's the action hero in this one. I tried to, like, finagle a way that we could give it to Reed, but no, it's Archer. 
not only is Archer the action hero, but Archer is like the one uh, making the decision to blow the airlock and feeling bad about it. Mm-hmm. He was acting and there. And then T'Pol's over there as his spot going, nope, that's logical. Yep. Yeah, it's true. That is how it goes. Congratulations, Archer. You once again did what you were hired to do. Mm-hmm. All right. Shall you take us home? I think I shall. As always, thank you for listening. Dog thanks you too. She if slept you... through the entire recording. She did sleep through the entire recording. I actually tried to wake her up a couple times because her snoring was getting loud, but uh, never worked. Hmm. Good girl. Anyway, as always, thank you for listening. If you're enjoying this, please tell all your friends and family to join the crew. If you're really enjoying this, please consider leaving us a rating or review or signing up for a subscription on the podcast platform of your choice. If you would like to tell us how we have brightened your day, or if you have some ideas for the show, shoot us an email at at least there's a dog at gmail.com. And if you are watching along with us, your next viewing assignment is the episode First Flight. Ooh. Yep. Take care of yourselves, and until next time, remember to go wherever your snore, I mean your heart, will take you. <laughs> Bye. Bye. with it in oh she's dreaming <laughs> sorry got distracted by the dog um our podcast is becoming whoa wow bonus content bonus content time of course now she's quiet Did your dream get microphone shot? <laughs> we might have to cut some of this out. <laughs> yeah, I think we will. And by we, I of course mean you. Yeah. Shall we continue with the episode? Sure. <laughs> um, yes. Yeah, problem so for, with prequels. Problem with prequels. So. For example, 